Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. As a philosophical school, the Stoics had some quite definite views on the nature, the existence, the, the workings of the divine, and the, of the relation of the human being to the divine. And this covered a lot of ground, including things like, should we engage in divination, and is divination true, or, or is it going to yield us reliable results, you know, and this had connections with larger metaphysical issues about freedom and determinism and fate. We're not going to worry quite so much about that because Epictetus himself is not particularly concerned with those sorts of questions. Instead, he's much more interested, as we see him, in how should the human being understand him or herself and other human beings in relation to God? And how should the human being comport him or herself in relation to God on that basis? So what is the central question for Epictetus? The really key question is understanding the nature of the human being. And that is going to involve understanding the nature of God along the way, in part because human beings and God are not radically, totally separate from each other. That's part of his important perspective. We are not, of course, the same thing as God from the Stoic perspective, but we are in some way connected with God and in a way that very uh, strongly asserts human dignity. Not only the human dignity of the individual human being who, say, is reading Stoic philosophy, but of all human beings. So if we look at 2.8, which is really one of the central places to go for this. He begins with this discussion of the good. And he says, what can we actually say about the good? Good, God is helpful, but the good also is helpful. It would seem, therefore, that the true nature of the good will be found where we find that of God to be. So what is the true nature of God, then? Flesh? Far from it. Land? Far from it. Fame? Far from it. It's not these material things Although God, of course, you know, in the Stoic cosmology, if we want to be very technical about it, is in fact material. God is running throughout the, the whole of, you can't even say creation as such, the whole of the cosmos, the universe. But what is God? Intelligence, knowledge, right reason. So he says, this is where you should seek the true nature of the good. So where do you look for it? Do you look for it in a plant? No. In an irrational creature? No. So if you seek it in that which is rational, why do you keep on seeking it somewhere else than in that which differentiates the rational from the irrational? What is it that makes us rational as opposed to irrational? We are partly both, you realize. You know, from the stomach perspective, there is an animal nature which we have that, in effect, it unites us with the other animals, and it's connected with our bodily constitution and all these other things. But we have something that exceeds that, something that goes beyond that, something that gives us a higher degree of being, which renders us like, or if we want to be very literal, part of the divine. So he's going to say, we're not going to find it in irrational nature, we're going to find it in human nature. He'll tell us, we are actually fragments or parts of God. This is a quite revolutionary thing to say for the Stoics. It's not just that the human being can be connected with God or somehow participate in God, 
we are portions of the divinity. Not that that should go to our heads and make us think too highly of ourselves. That's actually going to, as we see a little bit later, it's a reason for some caution. But we are fragments of God. Or another way of saying this is we have God, we have the divine within us, within our very selves. And where do we have that? In our faculty of reason. That is the portion of ourselves that God providentially gave to us so that we could develop it. God also gave us other things too, right? Our sexual impulses so we can reproduce, our you know, appetites so that we can make sure that we eat stuff so this body doesn't die, all those other things. Faculty of locomotion, which by the way, I have to use to write on the chalkboard, right? So that can serve some good purposes. But where we see the divine in ourselves is in our faculty of rationality. And also, you know, since it's the same thing, in our faculty of choice. Insofar as those things are screwed up and muddy and disordered and poorly oriented, we have taken the bit of God within ourselves and screwed it up. We have obscured it. He doesn't quite use the, the notion of the image of God that we will see play an important role in other theologies, but you can see Epictetus doing something similar to that. So what are some of the implications of this? He says, will you not therefore seek the true nature of the good and that quality, the lack of which in all creatures other than man prevents you from using the term good of any of these? Uh, what is that? You are a being of primary importance. Why then are you ignorant of your own kinship? Why do you not know the source from which you have sprung? Will you not bear in mind whenever you eat who you are that eat and whom you are nourishing? This really places things in a different perspective. We sometimes say for pregnant women, oh, you're eating for two, or I suppose if you're having twins for three or triplets for four or whatever, right? We're doing this all the time because we're carrying within ourselves this part of God. And so, you know, when we're thinking about who are we eating for and the meal that we put in front of us and how it's arranged and whether we're going to go have seconds or whether we restrain ourselves and slow ourselves down and savor the meal, perhaps, or any of these sorts of things, we ought to be considering that we're, you might say, taking God along for the ride within ourselves. He goes on further. Whenever you engage in intercourse with, with women, or for women, you know, with men, who are you that do this? Whenever you mix in society, whenever you take physical exercise, whenever you converse, do you not know that you are nourishing God, exercising God? You are bearing God about within you. You poor wretch, and you don't know it. Do you think I'm speaking of some external God made of silver or gold? It's within yourself that you bear him, and you do not perceive. Here's where it gets a little bit tough to hear, right? You do not perceive that you're defiling God with impure thoughts and filthy actions. In the presence of an image of God, you wouldn't dare to do any of the things you're doing. But when God himself is present within you, seeing and hearing everything, are you not ashamed to be thinking and doing such things as these? So this is a very important thing to keep in mind as far as Epictetus is concerned. We are parts of God. God is within us. We are involving the divine in whatever it is that we do through our choices, through the very faculty that makes us in a certain sense divine. So the question is, what kind of God are we actually working on or, or developing? Well, what are we doing with the part that we've been given? Are we screwing it up? In 1.9, he also talks about the divine community. 
We are parts of a sort of divine commonwealth. He says that we are part of a community of gods and humans. By gods there, he doesn't mean God is the entire thing that runs the universe, but you might say divine powers that are deputized into you know, making things happen. This is another thing that the Stoics did, in fact, believe in. They thought that there was God with a capital G, and then there's you know gods. But we are in a community with them, if we choose to be. If we decide to be rational, if we do the work that's required. So this is offering a quite an opportunity to human beings. A little bit later in chapter 13, you know, there's this question. How may we do things so that they're acceptable to the gods? How can we be part of this divine community in, in the best way? So someone asked him how it's possible to eat acceptably to the gods. Interesting question, right? Again, we see it's not just in going to church it's, or temple or whatever. It's not just in burning incense. It's not just in like meditating by yourself and having good thoughts. It's in the day-to-day -day processes by which we, you know, continue and orient our lives and probably share with other people as well and are involved in the larger economy that we live out our relation to the divine. So somebody says, how can I do that when I'm eating? And Epictetus says, if it's done justly and graciously, the word gracious there is translating eugnominos, which, you know, could have the sense of thoughtfully in a way that takes into account everybody else that's involved with us. And I'll get back to that in a moment. Fairly, esos, restrainedly and decently. It's being done acceptably to the gods. So how would this take form? Well, he has an example here that I'll come back to, but he has another set of examples <laughs> come up that are quite funny. Epictetus says, you ought to think of yourself as, as being at a banquet. When things come to you, if you're in a, a gathering, are you going to be the slob who is just you know taking stuff willy-nilly in a selfish way? Or do you take your bit of it and then let the dish pass on? Don't like hold on to it and keep spooning it onto your plate. This is a big common problem, not only in our own day with dinner parties, but back in ancient times as well, because it's part of uh, damaged human nature, you could say. The tendency to do that sort of thing, you know, to take the best of the, the dish for oneself and, and leave it for other people, that would not be fair. That would not be just. That would not be gracious, right? That would not be restrained. So that's part of it. Another thing that he brings up, this is something well worth keeping in mind when you're dining in a restaurant. When you've asked for warm water and the servant doesn't heed you, or if he does heed you but brings in tepid water, or if he's not even to be found in the house, then to refrain from anger and not explode, is this not acceptable to the gods? This is a way in which we can honor the god within us as part of the larger whole scope of the deity that's, that's involved in this divine community. And it's a way that we can relate ourselves to God in the other person who we don't have to treat as just being something there to, for us to dominate, for us to get what we want out of, and then to become angry if they don't do precisely what it is that we wish them to do. And Epictetus reminds us, the fellow human beings... Uh, even if they're slaves, even if they're people who, you know, in the ancient world, we would say don't count for much. Even if we think that we're better than them, which from a Stoic perspective is actually wrong, they are equally children, they are equally parts of, they are equally derived from and contain within themselves God. So this places quite a responsibility upon us. We ought to recognize, according to the Stoic doctrine, that other people, 
are also equally, like us, parts of God and children of God. He uses that very language that we're much more used to seeing in a Christian context, culturally. The Stoics took this, you know, in, with respect to Epictetus, quite far. So, you know, what should our general orientation to God be? It's not so much about prayer, although, you know, things like thankfulness are, are just fine, according to Epictetus, and actually a sign of being on the right path. It has much more to do with our actions and how we conceive of ourselves and how we conceive of others and how we think of ourselves and others as being part of this divine commonwealth that comprises every rational creature in the world. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.